Do you know what time it is? It's time for the Workforce Show, where you will learn the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM. Everybody, uh, welcome to the Workforce Show. Uh, today's program is specifically and especially interesting because uh, he—I heard the guest speak at a an event at on the hill, Capitol Hill, and he was talking to a a room full of especially young millennials uh, on on space, and he explained space and all of, all of its uh, mechanisms very clearly, and even I understood. Uh, you know, can you tell us a little? And this is, uh, by the way, this is Paul Steimers, who is uh, a lawyer, uh, and he uh, graduated from uh, Harvard School of, of Government, MP, MPMA, and he has a law degree. But he went to, you're from Washington, is that? Yes, I'm from Spokane, Washington, and went to the University of Washington for undergrad and then Harvard Law School and the Kennedy School. And the School. rest is history, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I met him and his journey when he spoke on the Hill. Uh, what, tell us about that program and, and how it's run. Well, thank you. The, uh, the, uh, and thank you, first of all, for having me on the program. Uh, the uh, Congress has a, a program called Space Advocates, which is a group of uh, legislative assistants in a variety of, of congressional offices who focus in uh, one degree or another on space. And uh, every year they have a number of programs for those uh, those legislative assistants, those congressional staffers, to help them be more effective advocates for space and space policy. Uh, and this, this is the second time that I've given a... Uh, a presentation on on how space works. Uh, what are the basics of orbits and uh, and and the physics of space and and how rockets work and so forth. And I think it's it's been helpful uh, to to ground their understanding of of uh, of space in, in in some real fundamentals. So that then, as they're helping craft policy, uh, it's based on a, a firm foundation. That's interesting because oftentimes in, on our programs and whoever is hosting it, we, we've recognized that policy is so important and so uh, so critical to to STEM. And, you know, anybody who's doing anything in technical has to be concerned about how policy is developed, how it's unfolded, et cetera. And I've heard it in transportation. I've heard it across the board. So what are the key uh, key concerns or the key policy issues with space? Well, there's, uh, there's quite a lot of them. And, and we're at a moment in space and, and in a variety of other technology areas where change in technology is happening increasingly rapidly. Uh, right now, for example, uh, we're in the, the middle of a transition from, from government-owned and operated vehicles uh, like the space shuttle to partnerships between the government and private sector companies like uh, Blue Origin or Virgin Galactic or Virgin Orbit or SpaceX, uh, where, where those companies are providing the vehicles and the government is acting as a customer. 
Uh, and and so we're 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 starting to see just dramatic changes in in the way the government is operating. That means that there needs to be policies that that change accordingly. Uh, and it's a very exciting time. We just just this morning, uh, Blue Origin, Jeff Bezos's rocket company, uh, had a test launch. Uh, that uh, sent a, a, a uh, I think it was nearly 40 NASA uh, science payloads up into space on a suborbital trajectory. They had about five minutes of microgravity in which to uh, to conduct experiments. And this was something that was uh, vastly cheaper and vastly easier to accomplish uh, for the researchers than having to wait in line and spend a tremendous amount of money to get onto the International Space Station. Uh, which is a multi-year process. So, so we're, we're in an environment where these new capabilities are coming online. Uh, the government is adapting to them, is, is helping drive them as a customer, and it's a very dynamic time in the industry. And so the government is driving the business, but everybody isn't following the rules. I mean, are they? Oh, I, I think everybody is everybody is trying to follow the rules, and and we're 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 developing the rules as we go along. Uh, the trick is to be able to to uh, come together on some on some rules of the road that make sense for everybody, uh, and that enable the private sector to make investment decisions, uh, make uh, decisions about about which opportunities they want to pursue and which capabilities they want to create. Uh, and 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 to do so in a way that is responsive both to private sector customers and to the government as a customer. I was, uh, for me anyway, as a non-scientist, uh, I was uh, I was concerned and curious about policy that impacts the multiple multi-units that are in space. You're having a lot of different companies, a lot of different countries mm-hmm. competing for space. And then then at the end of it, you have a lot of junk floating around in the air. What, what, is that how you sure. see it? Uh, well, and, and the amount of junk, as you, uh, as you say, <laughs> uh, on orbit just increased. The, uh, the, the nation of India uh, conducted an anti-satellite test a couple of weeks ago that created a brand new de- debris field. They shot down one of their own satellites in order to test and demonstrate that capability. And that... Uh, that debris field is persistent. It will it will stay up uh, probably for a good two years. Some of it, um, and and some of that debris field runs the risk of impacting the International Space Station, among other things. Uh, so th- that's that's a real issue. The the issue of of traffic congestion in space, uh, and and a debris strike in space is uh, is very serious because these uh, these particles and they can be as small as a uh, just a, a pebble. Uh, these particles are traveling at seventeen thousand five hundred miles an hour, and uh, that's many times the speed of sound. Um, and if something like that strikes uh, your spacecraft or your satellite, uh, that's a real problem. So one of the one of the policy areas that we're dealing with is how do we create rules of the road for space traffic management, for uh, space situational awareness, for debris mitigation. Uh, and, and what are the norms and expectations beyond just the rules of the road that say even though you're a sovereign country, uh, as, as India is or as China, which, which also conducted an anti-satellite test that, that created a significant debris field some years ago, even though you have the ability to do that and nobody can stop you from doing that, 
there's a cost to doing that uh, in terms of 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 your international reputation and your ability to to do other things that you want to do internationally. So creating those norms, creating those rules, uh, making sure that they are adaptable as the technology changes and develops rapidly is really important. So anybody who is uh, in space or thinking about getting into space has to be concerned about public policy, their policy, national policy, and international policy. Absolutely. Space is a highly regulated environment. Mm -hmm. In order to get to space, Mm -hmm. uh, you need to have a launch license. If you're coming back, you need to have a reentry license. And and you're working with a, a wide variety of agencies, the FAA, the FCC, uh, and, and so forth, depending on what your what your mission is, what your capabilities are. Uh, so, how do you manage it all? I mean, how does how does anybody manage the complexity of our country and all the people, private and public, who are involved in that, and then internationally, all those countries? Well, I I, I would suggest that you hire a law firm. <laughs> <laughs> your law but, firm. But uh, well, you know, well, I, I'll tell sure. them. Well, wait a second. Um, he, uh, Paul. <laughs> I was going to K&L Gates can help you with that. But, <laughs> yeah, but uh, Paul is with KL. Uh, K- K- K&L Gates is a, uh, is, a, is a global law firm with offices in five continents. But, uh, uh, but part of what we're doing at the same time uh, is trying to streamline that process. Um, not, not entirely work ourselves out of a job, perhaps, but to, to make life easier for the people who are actually trying to go do this. Uh, and that means things like trying to create a single point of contact for uh, somebody who wants to go to space. If if you want to put a payload in space, uh, the the idea would be that you have one place that you can go in the government to get all the licenses and, and uh, permits and things that you need, uh, rather than having to chase around and, and hit a bunch of different agencies. Uh, processes that... that currently take up to five years uh, for approvals need to be dramatically shortened and can be in many cases. Uh, And so we're working with uh, organizations like the Commercial Space Flight Federation, which is the the industry association for the commercial space flight industry, to identify opportunities like that uh, and to work with members of Congress and congressional committees and the administration uh, to streamline that process. Well, that's good to know. I mean, I'm thinking about how long it takes to get a permit to go to Cuba. And so multiply that a billion times and you have the space. Right. And and uh, in, in this case, you know, there are significant national security uh, reasons for uh, making it relatively easy for companies to, to go to space. There are national security concerns that need to be addressed with any payload that goes into space. And there's uh, uh, the the Outer Space Treaty and and other laws uh, ensure that we're not putting things in space that we shouldn't be. Uh, But we also have a a strong national security imperative to to put assets in space, both on behalf of the government and things that could be used by the government to help promote our national security. So uh, this raises a question, but before I get there, the legislative, back to the beginning when I first met you, the legislative assistants that that were in that conference room were under 30. Many of them. 
Mm-hmm. So, what is their interest in? I mean, is is their interest strictly because their job says that here's policy and we have to to do it, or is, is there an, an innate? I mean, I think there should be an innate sense of excitement and and wonder about space and all that it can do. Oh, I I think I think there absolutely is that innate sense of wonder. It certainly exists for me. Uh, I grew up with space shuttle stickers all over my uh, my bedroom as a kid, uh, and and with you know, Star Wars and Star Trek and everything else. Uh, the, it, it absolutely is, I think, innately exciting for a lot of people. There's a there, there's the romance of space, the romance of exploration, uh, and and of innovation. Space is uh, not only a physical frontier but a technological frontier, and being a part of that. I mean, we've we're we're, we're still just beginning to explore. And we've we've we, we we only recently completed our last first planetary exploration mission uh, with our New Horizons first. to Pluto, okay. right? Uh, and and so we've 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 only just finished hitting the planets, mm-hmm. uh, and there's an infinite amount of space left to explore, uh, and so just just that alone, uh, let alone the specifics of whether there's uh, life elsewhere on the solar system, or uh, how we expand our uh, habitation and our economic reach into the solar system, uh, and 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 then beyond. Those kinds of questions, I think, are, uh, are 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 really motivating for a lot of young people, just as they were for the Apollo generation. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it's 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 easy to uh, find people who are highly motivated to make a difference here. Um, I, I, it, it, we sometimes forget how quickly all of this has happened. Uh, you, you may know uh, General Chuck Yeager is on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, tweeted some months ago. This is, this is the most impressive tweet I've ever seen. He tweeted about how uh, honored he was shortly after breaking the sound barrier when Orville Wright came to visit and check on their progress. Orville Wright. Orville Wright. I can't believe he Ex- was alive then. Exactly. And so, so we are we are just two two hops removed from the very beginning of powered human flight, and the things that we're doing now are just are just incredible. And two more hops from now, Where we'll look be? we'll look back on ourselves as as primitives, and that's exciting. And but two hops. Where do you think we'll be? I, I, you know, that's that's a very exciting question. Uh, this 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 moment that we're in right now is revolutionary because we are moving from single-use rockets to reusable rockets. Think of how often we would use air travel if we threw away the airplane every flight. Right? It, 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 it's it's ludicrous to even yeah, consider that. Right. Well, that's what we've been doing our entire. Uh, history of rocketry. We've thrown away the rocket each time, and now we're not. That is an absolute sea change in the way we do space transportation. We're, 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 we're moving from packing the things that we're going to need to making the things that we're going to need. There's a company that we work with called Made in Space that makes things in space. They have a 3D printer on the International Space Station, and they've been producing whatever is needed on the International Space Station on demand, which is incredible. 
if you if you imagine us going to Mars, that's a six month trip, and uh, under under the best of circumstances. And until recently, the thought had been, well, we're just going to have to pack whatever we need mm-hmm. and go. Uh, now we can start thinking about packing a block of plastic and a 3D printer and a file with all of the things that we think we're going to need as, as, as recipes. Plus, we can just email ourselves whatever, whatever else comes up. And the thing can print out whatever we need as needed. And when we're done with it, we feed it back in and it gets recycled. That is a, that is a game changer. I have sitting in my office a half-scale model of a part that Made in Space printed uh, that would have made Apollo 13 a very boring movie. <laughs> right? Really? Apollo 13 was all about these engineers dumping out a, a, a bucket of stuff that was, that was on the command module and saying, okay, how do we go from having a, a, a square thing to a round thing with the stuff that we have available? Made in Space just, puts, just, just prints out the part that does that, and, and, and you've got, as I say, a, a, a dull movie. So, so those combinations of things, of, of reusability and of manufacturing when and where you need it, are going to dramatically change how we do space. And that's really, really exciting. And we forgot to mention that they can repair things quickly. Absolutely, absolutely. So if something breaks, uh, you, you fix it. We're also seeing um, a, 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 the beginning of what I expect will be a radical democratization of space dramatically lowering costs and and creating a variety of ways to get into space means that a lot more people are going to go to space. And once more people start going to space, they'll think of ways to use space for uh, their own enjoyment, for economic development, whatever, just to make money. Uh, and and we haven't begun to think of those those opportunities. Can it space be too crowded? Oh, eventually. My uh, my fond wish is for that to be a real problem. Oh, really? <laughs> now, why? Because, because I mean, how how nice that would be that we're that we're so involved in space that we're really concerned about overcrowding. The 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 debris fields are a, a, a serious issue because they're persistent, because they're potentially self-propagating. That is, they could they could become a chain reaction, and so they must be taken seriously. At the same time, space is a very 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 large place. And so, beyond beyond certain specific orbits that that are that are important to us, there's just a tremendous amount of it, <laughs> okay. and and so we can expand into those places. And as we get better at debris mitigation, as we get better at not causing the debris in the first place, and as we get better in tracking everything, uh, then we will need to worry less and less about that. Uh, for right now, though, it is unquestionably a serious consideration. I want to ask you another serious consideration. You said democratization. Democratization is is a goal, but aren't there bad actors? I mean, what what can somebody, some country do, or Absolutely. some somebody do to to create a, a power over this over the uh, space? Yeah, so that's that's an excellent question, and and our international uh, adversaries, our competitors, our near peer competitors, such as China and Russia, for example, uh, understand that f- 
from a from a power projection perspective and from an economic perspective, our America's satellite networks are our crown jewels. Absolutely everything we do economically depends on satellites, either for a GPS uh, timing signal or for transactions or for uh, telecommunications. It all depends on that. From a military perspective, from a power projection perspective, uh, our our ability to project power depends on an acronym C4ISR. C4ISR, <laughs> That's a mouthful. I've heard that, yeah. yeah. Command, control, computing, communications, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. All of those depend on satellites. And there's one more that depends on satellites, and that's navigation. For us to do any of that as a military uh, requires a functioning satellite network, including the GPS system. And our adversaries know this. And they have plans to deal with it, just as the Japanese had plans to deal with our military advantage in the Pacific in, in World War II. We know what that, that they have those plans. We know that they are developing and in many cases have developed the capability to attack, disable, uh, spoof, hack our satellites. And we need to be able to respond uh, fully and in a way that, that, that makes it not worthwhile to attack them in the first place. And we're working on that on a variety of fronts, some of which are classified. Okay, so there, there are plans and there are, there are programs and there are ideas to, to control the, the bad actors in, in, in this scene. But to, to deter or respond to, to if deter, not control. To deter or, or respond to. Well, I, I'm lost in space. <laughs> okay. I, I, we had to get on, so I, I could ask you a lot more questions about space. Uh, but um, uh, we can save that for another time. I hope you'll be on another time. I'd be delighted. Okay, so we'll go from space to uh, to what your law firm and what you do. Um, looking at, and I'll, I'll include this uh, bibliography or biography in uh, <laughs> both in uh, our newsletter that we send out and you, you can see it if you want to um, but uh, you have a lot of different areas uh, that you, you your law firm specializes in and you specialize in I mean the, the the programs that you have given given speeches for and the topics that you've given speeches on are very large. Why don't, you, <laughs> why don't you explain to us uh, what you know other scientific scientific areas that you're working on? Sure. In? Well, I think the common thread is disruptive technology. Disrupt. That's uh, the word. Disruptive di- technology. Disruptive technology. So we've we've been involved, and I've personally been involved in nanotechnology and neurotechnology, uh, actually some water technology, which is an area ripe for disruption, uh, and then uh, of course commercial spaceflight for the last twelve years or so. And over the last couple of years, uh, quantum uh, science and technology, we've uh, created, and, and I'm, I'm the executive director of the Quantum Industry Coalition, which is a group of quantum companies or companies involved in, in quantum computing, communications, cryptography, sensors, or clocks uh, that are dedicated to U.S. leadership in the field. Uh, so Wait, I mean, what is quantum, though? I, <laughs> I've heard quantum fair, is fair supposed question. to be the highest, uh, highest uh, career goal that you can have in in uh, artificial intelligence and data analytics. Well, so so uh, quantum science is the science of these absolute smallest things in the universe, and when you get to that scale, certain strange properties develop that enable you to do. Uh, 
absolutely incredible things. A quantum computer, uh, for example, with 300 qubits, quantum bits, uh, if we're able to create one, will be able to hold data uh, roughly analogous to the number of atoms in the known universe, uh, which is just a just an, an absolutely mind-bending number. Uh, and, and what you can do with things like that is you can solve problems that computers, that classical computers, can't and never will be able to solve. Uh, and, and so in those mind are, is your mind, you become your vision of yourself then in the quantum world, you see yourself. <laughs> well, I, 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 don't, I don't know about that, but you can, uh, among other things, potentially break any cryptography that we've developed. Uh, you can uh, find uh, s- solutions to some of the most vexing uh, drug development problems and um, optimization problems that, we've, that, that we currently deal with. Uh, there are there are some really incredible uh, capabilities over the horizon still, but 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 ones that we expect to develop over the next five to ten to twenty years. So you mentioned AI, uh, well nan- nanotechnology. First of all, isn't nanotechnology related to quantum technology? Yes, nanotechnology is is on the scale of one hundred nanometers and smaller, uh, and there are some special properties that develop at that scale too. Uh, that in particular make materials behave differently than they do at larger scales. Oh, okay, I see. So, so in in again in broad language and broad se- uh, scenarios, what is uh, the water technology? So, with respect to water technology, I think that's so important. Water is so. <laughs> oh, important. It, it it absolutely is, and there is an area where uh, there has not been as much innovation as there could have been over the last. 120 years. Uh, and so people are looking at, as we try to modernize our infrastructure, try to repair our infrastructure, along with roads and bridges, our, our water infrastructure badly needs it. And we don't have enough money simply to brute force repair it all. Uh, we, need to, we need to innovate there as well. So again, throughout this entire uh, suite of issues, the, the, the goal is to help explain the underlying technology to Congress and the administration to explain why it's important, and then to work with uh, industry and with government to figure out what to do about it. Mm-hmm. Well, we're almost out of time, so I have to get to the question of work. This is a workforce show. Where do you see it going in the next, say, five to ten years in terms of science and technology and the growth and the, the needs? The, uh, the commercial spaceflight industry and the quantum industry are both in desperate, desperate need of uh, new American workers. Uh, that's 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 a major issue. Every, anytime our uh, our organizations get together, uh, the, the the companies that are involved say we absolutely need more more people getting advanced degrees, getting into the STEM fields, uh, starting in in middle school and and running right up through high school, college, graduate school. Uh, we absolutely need them. We're desperate for them. What specifically? What kinds of degrees? Can you think of some? Well, it's 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 expanding as the as the fields expand. Uh, there's there's always going to be a need for all kinds of engineers, for mathematicians, for computer scientists, uh, but but that's expanding into uh, a variety of other fields as well as as the the industries develop. Uh, it's it, if if you're if you're looking for 
uh, a career path right now. I think the the easiest thing to do is go to any of these companies' websites and look at their uh, their their wanteds <laughs> and see see what it is they're asking for. But they, you don't have to. You're not just talking about the scientific uh, field. You're talking about people like yourself who are in related to that field. You have there are, there's there are people uh, who who are. Beyond the scientific and the engineering uh, elements that are that are needed as well, um, I think those can be pulled from uh, a variety of different places. I think the 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 real the real choke point for these industries right now is in those hard science and 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 mathematics areas. Well, we're going to do more shows and and talk more about the, the need for STEM mm-hmm. training people, and uh, I think you're conversation and our conversation is very, very appropriate to get us started on this journey. And uh, I can't thank you enough. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.